You're listening to Sci-Fi TV Rewatch, episode 493. My name is Dave, and I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Wayne, as we continue our journey with the Netflix series 1899. We are reaching the end of 2022. Um, hope all of you guys out there had a great holiday so far. Uh, you know, you're off this week, which is always a nice break. Mm-hmm. Uh We'll get to Fred's feedback later in the podcast, but he is not doing well. Uh, it sounds like you got a bit of a cold as well. No, I'm good. Oh, okay. I mean, I know you have allergies, and I don't know if this is allergy season. I wouldn't think so, but no, it's like who knows? So, yeah. Anyway, if you guys want to contact us with some feedback, questions, whatever, sci-fi TV rewatch at gmail.com is the way you can reach us. You know, I I don't know if I'm going to surprise you with what I'm watching. On the one hand, you'll definitely be surprised. No, if you say Deadpool the other, too, I'll be surprised. Yeah. Uh, no. Ah, all right. right. Now, I, I I mentioned the recruit on Netflix right. last time, mm-hmm. and I'm I'm still. Are you watching it? No. Okay. I think you'll enjoy it. I mean, it's it, it's sort of like I don't want to say a poor man's alias, but it's that same spy vibe except that alias she's you know uh going undercover each week with a different character and and individual and that's not the case here but you know it is that international espionage and it's pretty good i'm really enjoying it okay it looks Uh, good i do want to yeah now i do want to point out and i'm guessing you saw this that alice in borderland season two has dropped on netflix have you seen that yet no, I am. I have such a backlog of shows. Right okay, now. it's like when you like you know get like a bunch of books at once that you want to read, and they just kind of you know this pile next to your bed, and just you want to read all of them, but like just one at a time, you know. Yeah, well, I haven't seen it yet either, but uh, it's definitely on the radar. I really enjoyed season one. In fact, we considered doing season one at one point. Um, yeah, it's uh, what's I'm trying to think of the appropriate metaphor of like. I mean, I know it's like always a bridesmaid, never a bride type thing, but I'm trying to think of like a, a real life scenario of something that's always comes in second place. Yeah, uh, the maybe the Buffalo Bills or the the Minnesota Vikings or something. You know, uh, you know, it's always in the conversation what we're going to do next. It just seems to like just miss out. You know? Yep, maybe one day. Now, last night I sat down with my wife and watched a movie that she's been wanting to watch for a while now and that is la la land oh okay ryan gosling and emma stone mm-hmm. did you see it yeah a while ago but yeah i like that movie um yeah i liked it I, I i'm not sure i buy into all the hype uh, the oscar worthiness i enjoyed it uh, you know they could have done without the five minutes song and dance opening sequence but you know uh after that, and, you know, it had some, you know, I wouldn't call it a musical, but it certainly had some singing and dancing in it. Mm-hmm. So after that, I got my wife to watch the Buffy the Vampire Slayer episode, which was their musical episode in season six. Nice. And I doubt you've seen that, but and it is an episode that you can watch in isolation. I mean, there are certainly some things that you don't understand what they mean but you can enjoy it and and as i said to my wife i I think the thing that's so amazing is that they did this in eight days Mm -hmm. and you compare it to la la land which you know how many 
tens of millions of dollars did they spend on that movie and how many months filming and then you look at what joss whedon was able to do you know he wrote the music wrote the lyrics directed the episode you know, everything it's just pretty amazing and uh 30 million u.s dollars would be how much they spent from la la land okay and i would <laughs> suspect they spent under a million on the episode of buffy but anyway uh what are you watching uh, so, as you know, uh, we were going to record last night, but uh, my kids decided that they wanted to go see Avatar, The Way of Water. So, we went and saw it in the IMAX experience. Wow. And it was, uh, I don't know, like, I didn't read anything about it, because, like, I don't want to really read stuff about a movie that I might go see. But it seemed like there's, like, a lot of negative press out there about it. But I thought it was really good, you know? Now, was it, like, knocking my socks off like the first movie was? Mm. Not necessarily, but I mean, just especially in the IMAX, we saw it just visually like so stunning of a movie, just like as a movie experience. Um, and still a pretty strong story, characters that you're invested in, people you care about. You know, I wouldn't say, you know, Shakespeare would claim to append this thing, but, you know, it was still good enough to to keep my interest and in, in my investment as i said and and just like i said the, the just the visuals of it are just so absolutely stunning it's just uh it was pretty good worth worth the uh, 150 dollars for five people to go wow. see it <laughs> yep well um, much <laughs> sorry go ahead no as you know i haven't been to the movies quite a while and and now i don't even remember it was a movie my wife was interested in or is interested in that that's i guess at the theater or just left a- anyway you know you look online it's like oh you know you rent certain movies for you know 5.99 7.99 on amazon and you know until they're free and and everywhere this is like 19.95 i mean is that what it costs to see a movie now 20 bucks a ticket yeah. yep pretty wow. much I mean, it depends on what, t- like, you know, we went IMAX, so that was probably the most expensive ticket. Uh, for five of us, it was about 100 bucks for the tickets themselves. Um, yeah, it was, there's, there's some, I, and we've gone to a couple movies the last couple of years. This isn't the first time I've experienced this kind of sticker shock, but uh, yeah, after the movie, my wife was like, you know, maybe we just wait till these things come out here and watch them at home. Because also, like, you know, like you're in there with other people, and now because of, you know, you get your seats ahead of time. People wait till the absolute last minute. So you're like, the movie is starting and people are like, oh, I need to get to my seat. It's like, come on, dude. You know, like, so there's there's a lot of, of big negatives to it. Now, the, the pluses are, now we didn't go see it in a theater like this, but there are theaters that are much smaller and they have like these big, like lounge chairs, basically. You can sit in, they're heated and everything. And um, so I think if, if we go ever again, we're probably going to, do that because you're dealing with less of a crowd i mean there's someone that had like a kid like there was a kid crying before the movie i'm like who brings like a kid that's of a crying age to see freaking avatar yeah good you point know? it's like like i said uh, other than that other than all the the kind of negative beforehand things that happened uh including the person i think who was walking down the stairs and fell uh during the movie and they had to call paramedics in uh, for someone who who tripped and fell, I, I don't actually I don't know what happened. I think I assume they tripped and fell, but uh, that, that's also another thing. You know, like do I, you know, like I don't 
I, I have no skills to help out at all. I felt bad that I wasn't helping, but I'm like, well, what could I do? Just stand there and, and gawk? Like, I don't, I'm not a doctor. I'm not an EMT or anything like that. So, I don't know. It was a, it was a weird experience. But uh, the movie itself, pretty darn good, and I, I would recommend it. Right. Now, a much cheaper option, as my wife suggested, would be to stay home, turn on Netflix, and not Netflix and chill, Dave. Okay, but I was going to say. The, <laughs> that, that would be, that, but uh, to turn on Netflix and watch Bullet Train. And that's not, that's, that's not another metaphor for Netflix and chill. It's an actual movie uh, with Brad Pitt in it. That was awesome. I don't know if you would like it because it is very, very violent. Uh, but it's kind of like funny violent. Like if you've ever seen, I don't know if you saw like Lock, Stock and Two Smoking Barrels or Snatched uh, Guy Ritchie films. It's very much like an early Guy Ritchie type film. Basically, Brad Pitt's a guy who's um, been hired. Uh, we just, it's Sandra Bullock on the phone, but we just hear her voice on the phone for most of the movie um, to just get on this bullet train in Japan, grab a briefcase, get off the train. That's it. But, of course, there's complications. The case has money in it. There's all these guys with guns and violent people on board. And, you know, it, it was – but it's a, it was a really, really good, funny, action and, yes, violent uh, movie. But uh, I really liked it. And, and much cheaper to watch that than to go and take the family out to see, uh, to see an Avatar movie. All right. Well, you know I can get with that anyway. All right, well, let's get to 1899, episode three of season one, titled The Fog, written by Emma Coe and Yante Frisia, directed by Baron Bo Odar, and it was released with the rest of the season on November 17th, 2022. Any initial thoughts from your perspective? Well. Oh, that doesn't sound good. <laughs> no, it's, it's not like bad but I don't know really how much I'm loving this series at this point. You know what? I, I really think that this series is a series that's tough to watch one week at a time. Um, I think if I were binging this, you know, like I would, you know, I would get more of a sense of the whole story rather than just like one episode. And I'm not, I'm not criticizing the way we do it or anything. I'm just saying that, I think they, it was probably written more for binging where, you know, each episode, yes, yeah, stands alone a little bit, but really it's, the, it, you know, more dependent on each other as, as episodes and everything. Because when you really think about, like, how far the ball has moved along here so far, and I would say it's very much like the Ravens offense where the ball has just not moved much at all. You know, just a couple yards, you know, a little bit to make us think like maybe they won't lose the first week of the playoffs, but you know, not enough for us to be like, Oh wow, this is a really good offense. You know? Well, you know, the thing I feel about this show is for me, the ball is moving. Yes. Incrementally it's moving slowly, but, I do feel it's a show that that you really do need to do once a week or, you know, if we had the time to record twice a week where, you know, we could watch a new episode every three days or so, because it really does require repeated viewing. And while I haven't been able to watch the last two, three times the way I did the first, certainly a second viewing is really critical. There are things 
turn out to be pretty major that I missed the first time, and I'm certainly glad so that I could adjust my notes. But you know, we're certainly getting some huge reveals at the end of these episodes, but along the way, we're also getting some reveals as well. I have to bring up Lost because oh dear, I, well I mean, but I think the thing the the parallels are that with Lost, along as each episode would air, and we'd learn backstories of these different characters that don't seem to jive with the characters that we've come to know on the island. It, it, it's sort of like that, you know. We learn that two of the characters in, in 1899 have killed people. And as Fred points out in his feedback, yes, they're fleeing from the authorities, whoever those authorities may be, but that there just seems to be a dark, mysterious past for each of these characters, all of which haven't been revealed yet. But, you know, in, in that regard, you know, there's that mystery that goes along with, you know, in Lost, it was the mystery of the island, and, and here it's the mystery of the ship or ships. And, uh, you know, on the one hand, the fog doesn't allow anything to be seen clearly. We, we see Ling Yi and Ike both having visions, mm-hmm. apparently. I, I think we have to look at those as visions rather than flashbacks. So, you know, I, I, I don't know. I mean, we've been talking about uh, the Kerberos and Prometheus, and now we learn there's a third ship. Right. So where's the third ship? Is that going to turn up in the narrative at some point? Um, well, you know, as Chekhov said with a gun, right? Yeah. So I have to believe. Like if they brought up that third ship, then, we, yeah, we got to think we're going to see that third ship in action right so the question is where are we going to see it or maybe even when and you know we we kind of put time travel on the back burner after last week now i'm wondering whether multiverse might be in play because Mm -hmm. you, you know we see the the uh passenger list that ike recovers from prometheus and we see that mara was a passenger there yeah well Okay. Which is difficult to explain. Right. Now... Because she doesn't seem to recall being a passenger on that, or certainly hasn't said anything about it, but, you know... Right. Now, she's told us that her brother, she believes, was a passenger on Prometheus. It, it, it doesn't seem as if she's 100% certain that was the case. So, can we explain her name on the passenger list as a mistake or that she intended to travel on Prometheus and her brother took her play. I mean, I, I don't know. I, I certainly would prefer it if it, multiverse turned up to be the correct answer, mm-hmm. but um, you know, certainly we'll see. And, and the last point I just wanted to bring up before we get into the discussion, uh, Daniel and the boy, whether or not, Daniel is the adult version of the boy remains to be seen. Fred addresses that also in his feedback, but they clearly are working together. So what is it they're looking for? I mean, obviously we have absolutely no idea, but right. well, he's got like that little remote control too, that 
you know, like what, what's up with that? Well, uh, you know, um, again, I mean, we, we know the result uh, of that, that Kerberos disappears. So we don't know whether it's simply a cloaking device or, you know, is it a teleportation device? Do you know, is it moving in time? Is it moving in space? Don't know at this point, but definitely thought that was cool. Yeah. So, well, listen, why don't we talk about Mrs. Wilson? Now we okay. know what her uh, story Hello, is. Mrs. Wilson. Yep. And I had to do that. Right. And also Ling Yi's backstory. And in, in that opening scene, you, you know, we see this nightmare that, you know, whether it's a nightmare or a vision, uh, I tend to think maybe it's a little of both. But we get Ling Yi's backstory and we see she's trapped in a box, dropping to the bottom of the ocean. And then again, Mara's voice tells her to wake up. Right. Which is now kind of becoming a thing, certainly from a narrative perspective. But is it going to turn out that Laura you know, has more control over what's going on than you know, we have any idea? I mean, she seems to be just as, you know, when I say clueless, that ordinarily has negative connotations. I don't mean it in that regard. I just mean, you know, the reality that... She, she doesn't like, know what's going on. Right, like everybody Apparently. else. But, yeah, you're right. It's been her voice because the, the closed captioning tells me this. Um, that's her voice now twice. Who's told someone to wake up. It certainly would indicate that in, somehow she has some kind of control here. And then to see her name on the passenger list for the Prometheus, um, again, indicates that there is more tomorrow than... What we've seen so far. Yeah. And, you know, in this scene, after Ling Yi wakes up, we see the colorful robe hanging there adorned with the triangle symbol that was so prevalent last week. She gets dressed, sits with Mrs. Wilson and her mother, who then orders them to meet in her room after breakfast. And, of course, the mother is like, we should have never gotten on this ship. And, <laughs> yeah, again... We should have never gotten on this plane, but it doesn't take long to realize what Mrs. Wilson's connection is to these two women. And, you know, she's a madam. And whether she's simply taking her, her newest girl to wherever it is her business is, that's one thing, but she sees opportunity as she points out. So it does seem as if she's going to start earning some money while they're on their way to America or wherever they're on their way to. I mean, I guess he's turned the ship around and is heading back to Europe, but right. Well, but now, well, of course they haven't gotten very far if they've gotten, if they moved at all. Right. And now with the mutiny that the, you know, the mutineers are going to take the ship, back to the states now so who knows where what what that uh, whole deal is yeah and that's kind of a another story in and of itself so i'm not sure how that's going to play out it, it certainly appears that daniel has got more control over what's going on on the ship as well as the first mate right because we see him going to that right. control panel right 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 yeah 
and it, it certainly makes us think that he is not necessarily who he says he is that you know, they all talk about the company this and the company that you know like well the man well i'm guessing he is the man you know maybe not the man at the very top but that he certainly is doing things surreptitiously that the others have no idea what it is he's doing i mean ike already pointed out that that panel was supposed to do one thing but apparently it doesn't do right what they claim it does but also to not to you know state the obvious so it is uh remote controls weren't really a thing in 1899 right you know so like that technology was not a thing at all so we're used to seeing people push buttons and everything and make things happen far away, but in 1899, not so much. Right, and I think that then lends credence to the alternate history theory that we posited last week that, all right, well, you know, there were brilliant men and women alive in the 19th century, so who's to say that in an alternate world that certain things got invented sooner in that timeline than they you know, do in the timeline that we live in. But Mrs. Wilson tells Ling Yi to undress and we're starting to see where this is headed. You're prettier than I thought. And then, you know, she does the examination. I love her line. I don't like to be deceived, but I do like to be surprised. Mm -hmm. And again, I, I think we see where this is going that, oh, well, you're a virgin. I can get way more money. Well, she also is like, they're wasting. You shouldn't be a virgin. You were, you're, you've been on the clock already, kid. So if you're a virgin, then you're not the person that was supposed to be on this ship. Well, do we know she's been on the clock already? That's what Miss Wilson tells her. Oh, okay. I must have missed that. Yeah. I mean, she didn't say on the clock. That was my phrase. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. She basically says that, you know, you've, you've been working for me already. So you either you've, I don't know what you've been doing, but you are definitely not someone, the person that I, uh, cause she says like, uh, I hope the girl you replaced has told you what, what she did or something like that. Well, right. You know? and, and that's what confuses me about the girl telling her mother, she knows we're not who we say we are. So on the one hand, as you just point out, Mrs. Wilson clearly knows that she took the place of another girl. Now we learn that Ling Yi kills this other girl. Whether Mrs. Wilson knows that, we're not sure. At least I don't think we no, know. She, that. I don't think she knew until the examination here. Right. But what I'm saying is, does Mrs. Wilson know that Ling Yi killed the girl that was supposed to? Well, come I on think board? up until now, she didn't even know that Ling Yi was not the girl. Okay. That was supposed to be there. So, I definitely don't think she knows that that she killed her. But, of course, I don't think Ms. Wilson would really care one way or the other. Okay. Now, the box is something that continues to confound me. And I I get if Ling Yi has this nightmare of being trapped in a box underwater. And it's certainly a metaphor for the way her life is turning out. But then we see that she literally gets in that box right. on the ship. And her mother even alludes to the fact that she's done that before to hide. But there's no reason they would need to hide on Kerberos. They're 
passengers. They have tickets, we assume. So I don't know what that was all about unless, again, in the vision slash flashback we see in which she's hiding in a box. So maybe she's done it in the past and, you know, this was a convenient box that she finds on the ship. But, uh, you know, I, I, I love then what happens next and that's that Olick finds her in there, befriends her clearly a young woman in distress they're unable to communicate with each other verbally so they've got to just rely on emotions and you know they do the thing where he touches his chest olick she tells him her name but but that's it then he offers her coat what a beautiful scene i know it's dirty but it's warm And she doesn't care. And she puts it right on. And we've just not seen this side of Ling Yi yet. I mean, I mean, we certainly know that they're not who they say they are. We know they're Chinese pretending to be Japanese. But yeah, I, I just thought that was a wonderful scene. And he tells her, look, I've got a better hiding place and takes her to that uh, familiar spot on the boat that we've seen a number of times. Yeah. Well, I mean, we had said before, like, you know, the, the Olek and Jerome seem to be like, well, I, I wouldn't say guys who don't have secrets or anything, but seem to be kind of like maybe the quote unquote best characters on here, especially, you know, like the, the most uh, characters that have kind of like pure of heart and, and not less, uh, you know, like looking out for themselves. Right, whereas a lot of the other characters seem like they're kind of like in it for themselves, uh, you know, especially Olek, maybe a little bit more because, you know, Jerome does. Well, we don't even know about Jerome. We'll probably get a Jerome episode soon, I would imagine. Um, but but Olek really seems to be like a, a very kind-hearted um, person, and that leads me to suggest he's probably going to be the bad guy. Well. You know, I wonder, I mean, I hope not. And certainly once the mutiny starts and Olek wants to warn the captain and then ends up getting thrown in the brig, so to speak, with Jerome, who I guess I didn't realize he got beaten up as badly as he obviously has. But but still, even before we get to that point where the two of them are, are thrown together, Olek takes Ling Yi to that part of the ship where Daniel crawls out of the sea right. and, and, and the fog starts rolling in. And then suddenly we see her younger self back on that smaller ship facing off against that young woman who apparently she killed. And that, that line, are you a woman or a ghost? Mm-hmm. And then why is this happening again? So, is she having these visions slash nightmares repeatedly? And look, how, how do somebody like us not think about Macbeth and Banquo's ghost and sure. and the torment that it it causes him and is going to you know, certainly be one of the major factors that leads to his downfall? Well, that's that's a good point because the the two people who have experienced these visions or whatever because i they're they're even more than visions i don't know what to call them though because it's not like they're just seeing it it's not like they're just watching it like a movie they're actually reliving or or experiencing these things now i can't say reliving because ike 
is experiencing something he hadn't experienced before, right? Uh, the the death of his daughters, or, or you know, seeing his daughters at at home like that. Um, well, maybe it was an experience he had. I know he wasn't there for their death, but you know, when he. But either way, he's actually interacting. The same thing with Ling Yi is actually uh, interacting with Mei Mei again here, and, and so it's, it's it's you know beyond like it's so like real for them. And the so the two people that have had these experiences so far are, you know, what we've seen. I mean, I'm sure there's other people, and certainly Ramiro has uh, guilt on on his soul too. So maybe we'll see him experiencing this as well. But it's people who are feeling a, a degree of guilt, um, like feeling guilty that he wasn't there, uh, and, and feeling responsibility for the death of his family because of his absence. And obviously Ling Yi, because she she didn't mean to kill Mei Mei, uh, but she did uh, inadvertently, uh, and the guilt that she feels there. So you know, it seems like at this point, like the the visions and guilt kind of kind of go hand in hand here. Yeah, I mean, she tells Oleg, "I've done something horrible. This is not me. It's all a lie." And then we're not supposed to have dreams. So when she says, this is not me, it's all a lie, well, I'm not exactly sure what she means because it does seem clear, and I'm making air quotes, that she poisoned her, May May, that is. And as you point out, we get the idea she didn't mean to kill her. So did she mean to just simply render her unconscious so that she could take her place? Yes. Right. And, And... this is the way it turns out so Mm -hmm. this is not me i'm not a killer it's all a lie well what's the lie exactly right and i think you nailed it right there i mean that just shows that we know that there's more than one reality i guess at play here right yeah um and uh and whatever that that means I, i i don't know but certainly that line especially the one you just said about we're not supposed to dream i'm like well, wait, what do you, wait, what? <laughs> yeah. Know, like, what do you mean you're not supposed to, who told, you know, so again, like if, um, you know, we go with my theory that they're in some kind of, you know, Stanford prison experiment here that, uh, you know, wasn't that part of the deal, right? We weren't, we weren't supposed to dream. We we're supposed to remember the things, whatever we're doing here, which it's supposed to be, you know, I don't, I don't know, but she says that twice. So it's obviously an important line. Well, well, yeah, and I wonder, see, I, I can't let go of the multiverse theory quite yet, and, and it's almost as if some of these characters are moving between the two universes, and perhaps she's one of them that, you know, this is all a lie, meaning, well, wait a minute, this is not what happens to me in the other universe, so I, I don't know. As you point out, she says that line again, and then tell Mrs. Wilson I'm ready, which leads us into the next scene, and that apparently Lucien is her first or next customer, and she begins to remove her robe, and he's like, nah, that's not what I want. And what's his deal? Is it perhaps epilepsy? That, that's what I'm thinking. I meant to look up like what kind of medicine that people – uh, with epilepsy would be taking in 1899 because you know i maybe unfairly judged that he was some kind of drug addict now i'm thinking 
that he has epilepsy and that that medicine that we've seen uh, is what he takes to maybe to make his seizures less or to prevent them. You know, I don't know. Yeah, and we don't know whether or not Clements knows the extent to which he's affected by whatever this ailment actually is, because I think now it's probably not something like shell shock as we thought perhaps might've been the case had he, you know, served in the military. Although we saw those medals in, in the room that when Jerome breaks in, he's seemed drawn to that. And, and well, like I said, you know, France was doing plenty of colonization in the 19th century. Um, So, you know, that it could be very possible that he had a distinguished military career, just not in like a big European uh, brouhaha. Yeah. Now, the potassium bromide, by the way, was which is I, that, that uh, stuff he has in the vials might be. That's what they would treat epilepsy with from uh, 1857 to 1912. Well, the other story that we've got going on is Mara and the captain investigating further what's going on here and we talked last week about the relationship that the two of them have and that she is really the only passenger that has that connection with ike and we see that first scene where the doctor's examining ada's body and certainly we got the impression the guy was a real dick and he certainly reinforces that after i i was surprised he could Dane to come down and examine the young girl. Can I now get back to my lunch or whatever he says? Like, you know, and Mara immediately disagrees with, you know, his assessment. And, and I love the fact that, that Ike tells her, I trust you. <laughs> I don't right. trust him for a second. Which well, is, he's such an, obviously a shit doctor, right? right? Like you have a young kid here. Mara tells you a couple days ago she was healthy as could be, and for him to say, ah, she died of a heart attack, it's yeah. like, that's, that is ludicrous. Well, he brings up Darwin and survival of the fittest. Yeah. As if- Well, it, to justify women not being allowed in medicine, it's just like, or the fact, oh, right, right, that also that this girl was just, wasn't meant, she was meant to die because she's weak, right? Right. Yeah. And we didn't certainly get that impression. Intellectually, she certainly was not weak at all. We mentioned the ribbon last time, and we get some clarity, I guess. Uh, He shows Mara the ribbon that he tells her belonged to his daughter. So how the hell did it get on Prometheus? Right. So I don't even know what to say about that unless somebody is messing with him. Did somebody? Well, that's always a strong possibility, right? right? Somebody from the company, did they plant it there? Because the condition of the ribbon seems to, you know, contrast against everything else we see in Prometheus that, you know, as we've said previously, no, this is not four months of deterioration. This is more like four years or you know something else but he asks her and whether or not he asks her this because he knows she's a doctor we know that her specialty is the brain Mm -hmm. and you know whether she would be considered like a neurologist in in contemporary times or it's almost as if she's 
studied to become not only a, a neurologist but also a psychotherapist you know think being able to consider the tricks that the mind can play on somebody and he says can we see things that aren't there and still believe they're real and again as you pointed out the the line that ling yi says about dreams this is one that i certainly believe it's going to come back to have a lot more meaning right you know as the series progresses all right And, and again more kind of this compiling of evidence that we have that Mara is maybe in control of something here. You know, she's almost gaslighting Ike saying that, Oh, well, you're just, it's just, you're, it's just your mind playing tricks on you. And he's like, you know, pulls off the, the, shows her the, the tunnel underneath his room. And like, do you see this? Cause if I'm crazy, then you won't be able to see this. Right. You know, basically like, no, don't don't gaslight me, Lee. I'm not nuts. Like this is I I'm actually seeing these things. This hole in my floor exists. Well, you know, it's funny. That's not something I considered about Mara, but I love it. And I mean, certainly it's clear the first mate is not exactly who he says he is. Right. So we've obviously been introduced to daniel and the boy and we have no clue who they are i mean daniel hasn't really explained his uh, existence i mean he he goes into that room next to mara's so i don't know if he is on the kerberos passenger list i find that difficult to believe because it does seem as if he swam from prometheus but whatever but we don't know where he came right we don't know because we just see him climbing onto the ship right we don't know how he got there like i mean he could have flown for all i know you know like um so but yeah i mean obviously the we we definitely i certainly just like you assume that he swam from the prometheus to i'm sorry yeah from the prometheus to the kerberos but we don't know like he is still a complete mystery and this is you know this is where i I say I'm a little justified what I said at the beginning of just like them revealing very small increments. Well, still they haven't really revealed anything about Daniel, except that obviously he knows the boy. Uh, They are working together somehow, and he's got some remote control that can make this panel on on. Was it the Prometheus? Well, see, okay, so so here's the first thing that confused me. At first, I thought that it was Prometheus that disappears, but it's not. It's Kerberos that disappears. So I assume that the panel that lights up is the one on Kerberos, because at first I thought he was doing something to the panel on Prometheus. But I think now once you look at it all together, you know, Ike has said both all three ships were fitted with these same panels and these same communication devices, et cetera. So I'm assuming it was the Kerberos panel lighting up. Yeah. Because we know it's Kerberos that disappears, not Prometheus. I, well, 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 Kerberos is, is lit up and that's the ship that disappears. I believe now, now you got me. Yeah. (laughs) I'm not, 
I'm not sure because I was like, I was just that was one of the things. I'm just like, all right, I'm gonna let Dave explain this to me, you know. So, yeah, I hope we don't have to come back and record like a two minute addendum here after we go back and watch it a third time. But I'm almost positive that it's that it's curved. Yeah, it was got right because like you said, but it's it's like lit up. It's confusing because like. Um, like you see his face, like I, I don't know. You're right. It's got to be the Kerberos, right? Yeah, because it's completely lit up. But I, I also didn't know if like his little remote control would cause the Prometheus to light up, and then that would disappear. So, um, well, right. But only one ship was lit, so you know that would kind of imply that right. s- suddenly Kerberos went dark. And and again, it's the ship that's in the front, w- which is towing Prometheus, but. Regardless, Ike wants to go back to Prometheus to find the captain's log, and and Marab's like immediately, I'm going with you, and you know, no argument from him as we, you know, certainly figured would happen. But the first officer opens that panel, revealing three buttons: two triangles flanking a red button. Mm-hmm. At first, I didn't notice that one triangle was pointing up, the other pointing down, and now we know what the teletype was all about. Well, not really. I mean, we know it's yeah. some sort of code that he punches in, but he he apparently just punches in, you know, that code that's on the teletype as if, in other words, he's not sending a message to anybody. I wouldn't think he's... Well, I- inputting data to make right. something happen right you know I, you know that, that actually makes i think the first time i saw it i thought he was sending a message but that's silly because they sent him the message and so he's just using that message and he's yeah inputting the the key you know the keystrokes it were if it were to uh to make something happen which i don't know what what that is with the thing that's supposed to happen so. now when two people spend as much time together as mara and the captain are are doing they reveal certain personal details about each other's lives and and, and certainly he reveals to her about what happened with his wife and, and his daughters he asks her why she's so afraid to go home and she says i lost everything we do learn that she had a miscarriage and is apparently unable to have children we don't necessarily know that she was married something we speculated last week or the week before i'm not sure how important that is to the overall story at this point but again if we use dark as an example everything's important right well it's definitely her lack of children or inability to have children is definitely important because that's the second time now that someone has asked her about children and she's told them that she can't have children. Um, so that is super important, obviously, and would then lead us to think like, maybe she actually does have children or something, you know, like I think we, we were speculating about the relationship between her and the boy. Right. Again, it just, once again, let's put this on the stack of you know, things we see to suspect that Mara uh, has something under her sleeve right and, and speaking of things under once they get on prometheus he goes to the captain's room and moves the bed and there's a trap door there 
he has her descend into the shaft, I, I guess just to verify that it's the same as what's on his sh- ship, but I'm not sure why he didn't go, just go down there. But, but you know, I almost got the feeling that even if he went first, she was going down the ladder as well because this is something she wants to see. Uh-huh. And, you know, he talk, tells her about the communication devices, and that's where we learn about the third ship and, and all of that. But she brings up, you know, because obviously the one of the problems that has still not been explained is, well, what happened to all the people? And she sees the furnace there, and now she's considering, well, did they cremate them? Well, okay, but still, to cremate bodies, somebody's got to be alive to put them in the burner. Right, and that, you know, you think that that little kid would not be able to manage it themselves. All right, now, was that Daniel? Pop, pop. Well, but, well, they didn't find any evidence of cremation, though, right? Right, but he finds the logbook. Number one, why does he only take that one page? Why, yeah. why doesn't he take the whole book? And then number two, why does he lie to her? Because, Is it just because her name? Yeah, I think because her name's okay. Yeah, okay. But which you would think you want to get that off your chest right away. Hey, um, funny thing. I just found the passenger list for the Prometheus, and your name is on it. Uh, care to divulge what that means? Yeah. So, but but you know, there, I, you know, we don't know that until he's back in his cabin on Kerberos, and the camera reveals it to the viewer. I guess we have to assume he saw that right away. Yeah. But it still doesn't explain, and I don't want to get hung up on this, but why do you not take the whole thing? Well, right. Well, I, I was thinking the same thing. Why does he take the rest of the book, and why was the book not burned up in the furnace? Yeah, I mean, I guess we could explain that that was the last thing thrown in, and the fire was whatever. I don't know. but Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm not going to nitpick on that one. but Right. Um, but yeah, like certainly. Well, again, so now we, we're, we got this pile over here of – Things that means that Mora is has something else has ulterior motives, and now we're going to put over here a little pile of here's reasons why Ike has ulterior motives, right? And and certainly not taking the logbook would be a pretty big one. Yeah. Now the the mutiny is brewing, and Franz, who seems to be leading this mutiny, he he uses the angry Danes to his advantage, and obviously they at the beginning still think ada is simply missing but of course the ship's turning around the father comes across as very weak in in this scene and certainly tove seems to be the strength of this family and again once franz and the other crew members start passing out the guns you almost know it's going to turn out the way it does. She takes a shotgun, opens it up, yep. takes two shots. Clearly, she's handled a weapon before. And she's right at the front of the line. You just love it. And and it's like, I don't want her to kill anybody because then that's going to be on her conscience. But I'm not going to be surprised if that happens. So right. not unlike kind of like the, you know, that, that, that painting of Lady Liberty the, from the French Revolution, um, you know, like grabbing the gun, leading the charge, uh, pregnant lady at the front of the line, 
Go for it, girl. Yeah. And, of course, she's taken to see Ada's body, carries the body back to the others as the passengers line the corridor again. Just a very poignant scene. Mm -hmm. And then Crestor returns to uh, the group after his little encounter with on hell but uh his reaction we're like okay dude okay i get that you're angry that your sister has died i don't know that we i mean we know well i say we know i'm not sure we know anything but it does appear as if daniel kills her we don't know how certainly the doctor for all his shortcomings as a doctor there's not a mark on her there's no indication that there was any you know violence inflicted so we don't know how she died but it does seem to the viewer as if daniel had a hand in it but he's trying to open a window so that her soul can leave mm-hmm. which then goes back to all right i know it's 1899 but religiously speaking uh, you know the the vikings have been you know the viking religions have been gone for a long time at at right. this point you know a thousand years pretty much so well maybe not a thousand but well close close yeah yeah but but yeah um well but i i think that idea of well, I, I don't know if it's, you know, like religiously, the idea of the soul needing some passage to heaven or whatever, that's, you know, that's, I don't think that's not necessarily a pagan thing, but the idea of escape and her soul being able to escape, them being able to leave, those are all questions like, you know, like ada's soul is not able to escape you know are, are the people on the the ship are they likewise trapped and unable to escape yeah and, and then of course we find more bodies lying along the highway of oh, the highway lying the hallway. Al- <laughs> lying along the hallway not a lot of highways on the ship yeah. so again i have to consider now, were the- they children too no the i think they were adults Okay, but, I, I didn't pause to see that. So, I mean, I assume that Daniel has a hand in these deaths as well. I think we have to assume they're dead at this point. Well, right, they, they've got three of them in the morgue. Yeah. And then I believe we learned that there are even three in addition to those three that have turned up. So now we start to consider, well, maybe this is what happened on Prometheus, Granted, there's a lot of passengers. I don't know if they've given us a number, but I would think certainly 500, maybe more passengers. I, you know, I know on a ship like Titanic, I think they were close to 2,000-ish passengers. So mm-hmm. I don't know. And then, you know, we've mentioned Daniel and the boy working together. We don't know what. They're looking for something. He crawls under the bed, the boy that is, with the pyramid and at first I thought, oh, is there a trap door under there? But it doesn't. It looks like the carpet is is covering. Not that he couldn't have moved the carpet, but. Right. It's just like he's hiding under the bed. Yeah. So he takes the pyramid with him. Right. Right. And then he comes out later. And, you know, that's when we see that encounter with Daniel. He just simply shakes his head. So he still hasn't spoken even to Daniel. Right. 
Yeah, and Dan just says, have you found it? You know, so we have absolutely, right, obviously we have no idea what the, the it is that he's trying to find. Right. Now, could it be the pyramid? I don't know that Daniel sees the pyramid. I think he just puts it on the table. So Yeah, I actually put it in my notes because he gets out from under the, because like I'm very cognizant of the pyramid and the boy and what they do with it and everything. And, you know, he takes it and hides under the bed with it. And then he comes out from under the bed and puts the pyramid back on the desk. So it's not like he's, he's not trying to hide it. And Daniel, if that was the thing he was looking for, I'm certain he would say, Oh, well there it is right there on the desk. You yeah. Know? Yeah. So, um, yeah. Well, Angel and Crestor have their little encounter through the uh, barrier, which again, I thought was, significant that barrier between their classes yet there is something that brings them together and we'll just leave it yeah. at that um but but that line about we all wear masks i mean I, I certainly one of the more obvious metaphors that i think is presented in in this story i again i'm trying to make everything fit my multiverse narrative so i feel like that could play into it but uh, i don't know i don't ha- i don't have enough support for that one a- at this point so uh, you know the the fact that romero reveals that i i killed a man he killed the priest right took it took the man's place you promised you'd change so you know did the priest threaten to reveal their homosexuality and that's what led Romero to kill the priest. I mean, maybe I guess you would think the priest would try to be more understanding, but it's well, 1899. Well, yeah. Well, maybe it's 1899, but right. <laughs> um, but yeah, the, uh, the suggestion certainly is that it was something that Angel had done or was doing that, was why Ramiro had to kill the priest or I shouldn't say had to like felt he had to okay uh, kill the priest. So, you know, yeah, I mean, obviously uh, in Europe, especially Spain, homosexuality was certainly uh, frowned upon in, in the 19th century. If that's the time period we're actually in now. Um, so yeah, that could be it, but I, that, that feels a little too easy, you know, like, it's probably. I would think it would be something deeper and darker, and and you know, we'll get our maybe you know there'll be a, an Angel and Ramiro episode where we'll get to see all the stuff that they did. Right, and then we see Lucien removing an envelope with his name on it, and I'm thinking, not that I ever watched Oprah, but I, you know I certainly know this, <laughs> and I'm thinking like, you get an envelope, and you get an envelope, and you everybody gets an envelope with their yep. name on it. So, you know, we all, that's all we see. We don't know whether it's got the note inside, whether it's got that little message written on the back, whether it's embossed with the triangle. We don't know any of that, but well, we assume though that it's the same, right? Yeah. That, yeah. It's going to have like that, that same saying on it and everything. So, right. And then he opens that box, which has a number of vials in it. He drops one, Clemence walks in, interrupts him, and, and we still don't know what the deal is with her. She seems relatively compassionate in this scene. I don't know that she sees the broken vial right away, but 
it's almost as if she immediately understands her husband is in some sort of emotional distress. Do you want me to come with you? And he says, no. And then just leaves. And Right. Well, because he's going to go see. Well, right. You know, right. Ling Yi. Right. But, but yeah, I, we certainly, well, again, as, as a character who outside of a, you know, a mysterious smile in the first episode, another character who has not shown any dark sides and has seemed to be very sympathetic is Clemence. So, and Lucien completely still shutting her out, even though we've seen that he feels like their marriage is not an actual real marriage. So, but, but yeah, that's, that, that's a big question mark there as as well. Right. You know, and he's hiding the, the vials of whatever is in it. Um, you know, I did see that the, after 1912, there was a, um, some kind of barbiturate is what they've started using to, to, uh, help treat epilepsy. So, you know, if we go with either alternate history or, Somehow, you know, these people are out of time and everything. This might be another uh, anachronism of where before, you know, it's supposed to be before 1912, but he has the, the barbiturate as his medicine rather than the, I can't remember what I said earlier, you know, which is kind of like a solid potassium bromide, I think I said, um, which is would I think would be probably a solid, but, you know, all the scientists that are out there, you can correct me on that one. Um so, yeah, I don't know. Right. And basically. we know not that there's a history of a relationship between Clemence and Jerome, but, you know, we did get that interaction in, in the previous episode. So whether that's going to go anywhere, we don't know. But it leads us into that final scene. And, and, you know, most of the things that occur in this final scene we've already talked about. But but Daniel approaches Mara on deck, mentions the fog as if it was sent to prevent them from going back to Europe. And I think we're like, well, yeah, okay, but who sent it? Because, again, it, it can't be a throwaway line. It can't be right. a pickup line. No, I don't, I don't think there's line. any throwaway lines at all in here. Right. And then she says, I don't think he's mad. And, of course, then we're, we cut to the mutiny beginning, that scene where – Tove is at the front of the line. We're turning the ship around, she tells Ike. And then, of course, uh, we see Daniel enter that message or code into the device that activates the panel and Kerberos disappears. And whether it's cloaked or it's actually moved in space, we don't know. Right, because at this point, who the hell knows what's going on, right? Um, But one thing, like Ramiro going to warn like about the coming mutiny is notable. I, just, I was about to say curious, but I guess the better word would be notable because that's not in his best interest, right? Right. His best interest would seem to be let the mutiny happen. Uh, then the mutineers would turn the ship around. And they're going back to America, so, which is what he wants. They don't want to go back to Europe, but, uh, but he, so he's acting out, you know, in direct, contrast to what would be his best interest but he does what is morally correct and that seems to kind of be where he's at with Angel at this point uh, and it could be because he looks at the sketchbook and he sees Angel is drawing these pictures of uh, Crestor 
So, it, you know, maybe it's a little bit out of jealousy, but maybe it's just out of, you know, I'm going to start doing the right thing from, from now on, you know. Um, and uh, you know, picks a curious place to start, but, you know, then again, it is a start. Right. So maybe he sees it as a, a redemptive act. And, you know, on the other hand, like you said, it's just maybe that I'm going to start doing the right thing. But mm-hmm. anyway, what else? Anything you want to bring up? Well, the last thing is the last thing is that the uh, the Killing Moon by Echo and the Bunnymen is the the song that pops up. Which I love that song; it's unbelievable. But also, I think notable in that that song was prominent in a little movie called Donnie Darko. I don't know if you. Ever oh saw yeah, that absolutely. Darko. Yeah, and of course, you know uh, what's still the debate on that movie to this day is still what is real and what is not in Donnie Darko. Like that's, there's, you know, if you go online and look at like Donnie Darko, you're going to see like on Reddit or whatever, there's like, well, I don't know about Reddit. I've never read the Reddit on it, but I'm sure there's a huge argument because that's the big thing about the movie. It's so, you know, like kind of abstract and ambiguous that we can't really tell what is real and what's not. And, and, you know, there's this whole thing about Donnie Darko having superpowers and things like that. So I thought it was really fitting on a number of ways, besides being a great song and, and evocative emotionally uh, as f- the mood that they're trying to create, but also the, that the connection it has to this other movie that is all about what is real and what is not. Wow. Now I want to go back and rewatch that. Probably. Yeah, it might be time for a Donnie Darko rewatch. Yeah, probably not on any service I have, but I will definitely check. All right, what else? Oh, the uh, the the other people in the guest list. I actually took a screenshot of it, um, but I because I was wondering if like we would see. So you remember how like um, she said her brother was on that ship, right? Yeah. But there's no other like the the guest list is in alphabetical order. There's no one else with the name. Well, I guess if she, well, if she were married, maybe her name would be Franklin, and her brother would have a different right. Oh, so good that's, point. That, so okay, so it's, it's not for sure. But there's no other. There's no one else on that ship uh, with the name Franklin. Also, she's in. Is she in room one zero one one? Is that the room she's in? Now? Yes, and Daniel's in one zero one three. Okay, so that's the the room that she's in on the Prometheus as well. Ah, okay. And there's a Miss J. L. DeForest, a Miss A. S. DeForest, and maid, uh, Doctor Morris S. French, Mrs. Morris S. French. Um, so uh, we really just see the middle F's here, I guess. But uh, so I don't know. Maybe those are some names. Maybe we should to keep a, 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 an ear out for. Uh, but the, you know, obviously, Miss Moore Franklin is the name that, that sticks out on that list. Oh, uh, oh, oh! The last thing, uh, Ms. Wilson, Mrs. Wilson. Um, one, she has a letter, as well. Right. So, you know, Mara has a letter. Ike has a letter. Luciana has a letter, and now Mrs. Wilson. And we see this this last shot of Mrs. Wilson, where she's in like her nightdress. Her hair is down. Um, she is smoking a cigarette, but without the cigarette holder this time. Uh, and so we, this is Mrs. Wilson, her private self, I guess, you know, not the public self in the green dress and the cigarette holder and everything. So I don't know what that means, but I just thought it was curious how they did that with seeing Mrs. Wilson with literally with her hair let down. Her mask removed. 
Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. It might be about it for me. All right. Well, let's hear what Fred's got for us this week, and we'll be right back. Hello, Dave and Wayne, and all listeners to Sci-Fi TV Rewatch. This is Fred from the Netherlands with some feedback for 1899 Season 1, Episode 3. Although being vaccinated, I have a severe throat infection. Uh, It looks like flu with a fever up to 100 degrees Fahrenheit. So this will probably be a very short feedback. I did a COVID test and that was negative. So you can get a influenza vaccination for the flu, but there are many more bugs around. I think this episode was as dark as the previous one. So everything is colored very dark brown or gray. And I mean, this fog doesn't help really. We got quite a background story of Yin Li, so she has murdered somebody, but obviously Angel also had killed somebody, obviously a priest. This all let me realize that perhaps in the past, indeed people went to America not for getting a new future there, but because they were fleeing for the law here in Europe. Never have thought about that option. I don't think, by the way, that that Daniel Solange is an older version of the boy, because in this episode we see them together and the eyes are so different colored. And we know that Baron Boadar is very good in typecasting of kids versus adults. So I don't think it's very likely. And we see now that it is not a natural phenomenon what's all happening here. Captain Larson and Mara discuss this strange machine that is in both ships, which they assume has another function than it's told, and right they are. So now it gets interesting, but I still will give it a B- minus because of the color setting, brown, gray, uh, and the pace still. But there are elements that are making it better and better now. And I'm actually quite amazed because my wife said that she wants to watch on. Okay, guys, this is really what I can do with this voice. Critics, all the best. Fred from the Netherlands. Fred, uh, you, you get major props from the two of us for you know sucking it up to get your feedback in this week. You sound terrible hopefully you will be on the mend quickly uh you know good thing that you didn't test positive for covid but whatever it is you have who yeah i feel better buddy yeah. yeah it sounds it definitely sounds rough yeah uh, fred that's uh your your, your dedication is is uh, admirable buddy yep but i just want to address the point that fred makes about Daniel and the boy and and my theory that Daniel's the adult version and as he points out and and this is something I didn't notice I'm going to definitely go back and look at what Fred points out but that their eyes are clearly different and any other show we would say well that's nothing but this is Yante Frisia and Baron Bo Odar and we know from Dark as Fred points out that this is something they spend a lot of time getting it right. 
because mm-hmm. we see so many characters at different points in their chronological lives. So, yeah, Fred, I hope you're wrong about that because I love that theory, but I suspect you're probably right. So, <laughs> yeah, and I when we were talking about this before, I said, well, to counter that, let me bring up uh, Jimmy Simpson and Ed Harris in, in Westworld where, um, you know, the two look absolutely nothing alike. And in fact, Jimmy Simpson has like kind of like a, a mole on his one cheek. So, you know, I was like, there's no way. But as then you came back with, well, but what about Dark? Like that was, that was a different producer, different show. In Dark, they really took the effort to make sure that the actors that were playing younger and older versions of each other all looked very similar. And I'm like, yeah, you're right. They do. They, they actually do a good job. So if the kid has different colored eyes than Daniel, then we can pretty much torpedo that, uh, um, you know, that theory right now. But again, like, you know, one thing Daniel says to, well, not, not that that, not for that theory, but that there's some connection for sure between Mora and Daniel. You know, like this is like she's the only person that he has interacted with uh, on the Kerberos. All right. I got it. Okay. The boy is the son of Daniel and Mara. See that I can. That's the that's a theory I can roll with. I like it. I like that. Yeah. Now, now, which parallel universe they're from <laughs> right that's that's another issue that we'll uh hopefully address in the coming weeks but uh all right um yeah i'm going a minus again fred goes b minus which yeah i get but uh, i i feel like there were a lot of things revealed just that they do it you know kind of under the radar with some of them so i'm gonna go a minus i think i just gotta give a b plus on it okay i get it yeah, I just, you know, like, I mean, especially when we talk about it, then I like it more when we talk about it. But also after talking about it, I'm like, I just feel like still, like, I, uh, it just seems like it's just, I, I'm caught between wanting this to go a little bit faster and to have some more reveals. On the other hand, thinking, you know, the, we we always talk about how like the slow burn and doing things artistically uh, the way they should be and not just pandering to the audience. That's also a good thing, right? Yeah. So I, I should give it an A minus just to give it a half grade up for not pandering to the audience and not playing to the lowest common denominator and revealing everything all at once and letting it play out over the whole season. So maybe I'll give it the A minus just for that. Just give them a little bit. Bump them up half a grade for the effort. Well, see, I guess I would say that if this were episode six of eight, that'd be one thing. But it's only episode three. We're not even at the halfway point yet. And I think we have to assume there's going to be a season two. I I can't imagine Netflix didn't see how successful Dark was internationally. And while 1899's got a long way to go to, you know, match the expectations it, you know, it has, it's, I think it's on the right track. So I'll just leave it at that. So, you know, that we've got more than half the season to go. We likely are going to get a second season, maybe even a third. Uh, 
I'm I'm gonna you know get on board for the slow burn. Okay. All right. Well, why don't we leave it there? Um, I guess next time we talk, it will be 2023. If I'm, yeah, right. And uh, there will be no Doctor Who Christmas or New Year's episode to see. But hey, you know they promise us in 2023. I guess we will see. But. Anyway, let's go ahead and leave it there. That'll do it for this episode of Sci-Fi TV Rewatch. Thank you for joining us. Love to hear what you think about 1899. Anything going on in your genre world. If you're already a member of the Facebook group, great. Don't be afraid to post. If you haven't gone there yet, check it out. We'll be back next week to talk about episode four of the Netflix series 1899. But until then... Yeah, Dave, the, the reason I like podcasting you and working with you is that I believe you don't let your emotions cloud your judgment.